Hello again, and welcome to At the Podium with Manuel Mesqua. I am a financial advocate, CEO, father, husband, and massive sports fan. I'm obsessed with encouraging people to dream and attack the unique vision they have in their life so that they can inspire others to do the same. I built this podcast to share those stories of the highest performers in my life with the hopes that their stories inspire lessons that can help you get closer to your greatest dreams. Today, I'm joined by 2021 Big Ten Coach of the Year, finalist for National Coach of the Year, head coach of Michigan State football, Mel Tucker. He's entering his fourth season in Spartan country, and we could not be more delighted to have him. Being relentless is what he instills in his team, and it's now been clear to me through our various one-on-one encounters that he embodies that as well on an everyday basis. Be sure to stick around to hear some of the stories of his greatest mentors and advocates in his life. You won't want to miss those. Enjoy our conversation with Coach Mel Tucker. Coach Tucker, man, it's an absolute privilege to be here in your office in East Lansing, Michigan today with you. I can't wait to unpack a little bit of your story going all the way back to your childhood to how you got to this office that you're sitting in today. Thanks for making time for the show. Thanks for having me on. This is exciting. Appreciate you. Our listeners know I love to share stories of the wins, losses, and lessons of some of the highest performers in the world. This season's really dedicated to football, and there was no greater campus and coach that I wanted to invest a little bit of time with. So a lot of pressure for you, coach, but we love to start off with the childhood. What are some of your fondest memories growing up in Ohio as it pertains to your love for football? My dad raised me as a football player. My dad, Mel Sr., played football and and baseball at the University of Toledo, and he's in the Hall of Fame there. I don't actually remember making a conscious decision to play football. I think in the state of Ohio, if you, you're a boy, I think that's just comes with it. That's what you're going to do. But I do remember when we lived in the city, when I was very, very young, my dad taking me across the street to the park and having me do calisthenics and throwing me footballs and teaching me the difference between pain and injury. He would say, are you hurt or are you injured? Can you go? I'm like five, six years old. Those are fond memories just with my dad introducing me to the game of football. Can you think back to those days? What was your mother's position on the game of football? Well, obviously she married a a former football player. (laughs) She was for it. My mom is an artist. And so she was really very focused on the academics and things beyond sports. Early in my childhood, we lived in the city of Cleveland, very close to Case Western Reserve Mm. and the Art Museum and the Natural History Museum and in that area. And so my mom would always have me in the museums, have me taking music classes, art classes, things like that just to balance things out. So there was a little bit of a yin and a yang going on there with my parents. It ended up being a really good balance for me. How did that time, having such a well-rounded exposure influence as you went through your childhood from high school into college and did it? It did have an impact on me because I believe that 
I grew up as a very aware child and young man. I'm very curious, interested in a lot of different things. And I think it's really helped me in business and football to take things I learned from other areas, from other businesses, and apply them to what we're doing here in football. Did that type of well-rounded upbringing have any impact and influence on you choosing Wisconsin? It did have an impact on me. I was originally committed to the Air Force Academy as a wishbone quarterback, and that's where, where my mom wanted me to go. But ultimately, I landed at Wisconsin. I really fell in love with that atmosphere. It was not the most diverse place, but there was some diversity, and it was a different type of culture. And I was interested in that. It was something that excited me to explore something new. And I think just coming from a well-rounded background just gave me the awareness, maybe the courage, the strength, maybe some early wisdom to embrace change and diversity and new experiences. You played football? I played quarterback for the first practice of freshman camp, and then I went to my locker before the second practice, and I had a much bigger pair of shoulder pads on in my locker. So I knew that I had been moved to defense (laughs) to play corner, and then I ultimately grew into a safety. And so that was a very good experience for me, being eight hours away from home and kind of being off on my own for the first time and meeting guys on the team from all over the country. And then also classmates and people that we shared dorm space with from all over the country, different walks of life. It was a fascinating experience. When you think back to those days, what are some of the biggest differences between college football then and college football today? That's very interesting. Today, I believe that the players and the parents, they're a lot more sophisticated, a lot more Hmm. aware and knowledgeable about the recruiting process and the inner workings of college football in general. And I think it's been really a generational shift. My dad told me that he was a senior in high school when he went to homeroom one day and his head football coach happened to be his homeroom teacher. And during his senior year, his high school football coach came to him and told him that he could go to college and play football and baseball. And my dad was like, what? What's that? What's college? Like, what do you mean? You know, fast forward to me, the next generation, knowing that I was going to play college football or college basketball somewhere at some level, you know, that wasn't an issue. It was where. But the questions that I was asking and we were asking as a family at that time is, what is a full scholarship? What type of academic support do you have? And what are the opportunities to play. Fast forward to this generation of players, they know the offensive scheme, they know the defensive scheme, they know the coaches, they know the coach's background, they have questions about NIL and how we're going to build their brand, they know the depth chart inside and out, we want to talk about paid internships and things like that, which I think is great. They're asking questions about mental health resources, and those were not topics of discussion when I was being recruited, and certainly when my dad was going through his process, he was just happy to have an opportunity to actually just go to college. That's a completely different world. I mean, the way it's evolved from one generation to the next, now it's a big collaborative conversation. 
between you and the families of maybe the young men that you're bringing on campus? When I was coming along, we were, you know, we were scared of our coaches. <laughs> Actually, you know, high school, college, I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, it was my way or the highway from That's the right. coach's standpoint. And when you were told to do something, if you asked why, it was because I said so. And now the players want to know why and they demand why in great detail. And if you can't answer those questions and explain why they need to do what they're doing, then you absolutely lose the trust of your players and the confidence of your players because they want to understand why are you asking me to do these things this way. So you played 90 through 94, and then you go on and you work on behalf of a number of great programs, Michigan State, Miami of Ohio, Oxford, LSU, Ohio State. So these are some incredible programs that you worked on behalf of after you got done playing college football at Wisconsin. Were any of those programs shifting to this new way of leading and serving young men where it's this more collaborative conversation of these are all the different ways that we're going to invest and pour into you while you're in college to prepare you for life? I believe when I came to Michigan State in 1997 with Coach Saban, he was ahead of the curve, I believe. Because of his NFL experience, he had tremendous NFL experience at that time. In the NFL, it is a very collaborative situation and really kind of a relationship with the coaches and the players. And Coach Saban was always about developing the entire student-athlete 360 degrees. And so he was the first coach that I saw use consultants subject matter experts to come in and work with the coaching staff, work with the players. So that was really my first exposure to that type of culture and that type of process of developing players. And then my time at Ohio State with Jim Trussell Mm -hmm. was invaluable. Again, he's another coach that's all about developing the entire human being. You know, I see you as a person, not just as a football player. Football is what you do. It's not who you are. And so that was tremendous. Seven out of my eight first years in coaching, I was with either with Coach Saban or Jim Trussell. Industry legends. What would you say are one or two of the key things that you took from either of them that are a big part of who you are today as a servant leader on behalf of this organization? From Coach Saban, I learned organization. I learned attention to detail. I learned a sense of urgency from a coaching standpoint and just an entire program standpoint. And I learned the confront and demand concept, which really stuck with me all these years. And that's basically, if you see something being done on or off the field that's not consistent with the values of the program or is outside of the process that we trust in, then that individual needs to be confronted at that moment, at that time. And then there needs to be a demand put on that individual to do it right and explain that in great detail and confront it right away. Don't wait till later on that day. Don't wait till the next day. Don't wait till next week. And whether that was a coach or a player or a support staff, part of the culture and part of the philosophy was to confront issues and situations immediately and demand that things be done properly. That was many of the things I learned from Coach Saban. Jim Trussell, the number one thing that stands out to me is servant leadership. 
he made it clear to us as a coaching staff that we were at Ohio State to serve our players, to serve the university, the university community, and serve and support the people of the state of Ohio. That was what we were there to do. It wasn't about us. It was about everyone else that we had an opportunity to influence with the huge platform that we had. He led the charge in that way. Coach Saban, Coach Trussell, I've never seen those guys outworked. And obviously that's the backbone of everything you do, just good old-fashioned, roll your sleeves up, hard work. With both of those coaches, it was always more than the X's and O's. Absolutely in alignment with everything I think that we've observed outside in the public. And obviously we don't get to be in those closed rooms with you. But when you say those, I'm smiling the whole time because I'm like, boy, I could completely see that being the way they lead their army into war every single week, week in and week out. You stayed in college football until 05 when you took the position with the Cleveland Browns. Can you recall back to the way you were weighing the pros and cons of staying in the collegiate ranks versus going to the professional ones? Nick Saban was really my role model for being a coach at this level and at the pro level. And he told me in 2000 when I was coaching for him at LSU as his defensive backs coach, he told me on a recruiting trip one time, he said, you know, at this point in your career, you know enough. And this was my fourth year in coaching. He said, you know enough where you can coach anywhere, college or pro. And at some point, it will serve you well to coach in the NFL. That's like getting a PhD in coaching. There there is no recruiting. It's uh, all ball all the time. And so I studied Coach Saban's resume. And I believe success leaves clues. And that's not an original concept for me. I got that from Trevor Mowat, one of my great friends, uh, God rest his soul. I try to follow Coach Saban's path and his resume as closely as I could. And so I had an opportunity to coach for my hometown team, the Brownies. I can remember catching the bus <laughs> with my dad down there at the Municipal Stadium before it was called a dog pound. Being in the dog pound and watching games and Brian Sype and Mike Pruitt and Greg Pruitt and Dave Logan and Doug Deacon and oh, all those man. guys. It was a dream of mine to play for the Browns, but I I didn't have that opportunity. But I I had an opportunity to coach. I had an opportunity to coach for Romeo Cornell, who just won a Super Bowl with New England and was going to run the true pure 3-4 defense is something that I wanted to learn. And I was in my hometown, so I felt like that was a great opportunity. But, of course, I had to get Coach Trussell's blessing on that. He never wanted me to take a job that wasn't a good fit. and so. I talked with Coach Truss about it and actually asked him if he thought that it would be a good opportunity. And I actually asked him if I could take the job. That's how much respect I had for Coach Truss. I'm a huge fan of our friends at Sport of Kings out in L.A. And as a listener of this show, you've got to check them out. Sport of Kings is an L.A.-based clothing brand that was started by two surfers and longtime friends. The story's incredible. They carry a wide range of premium tees, hoodies, sweats, caps, and more. And they're designed in-house folks made locally in Los Angeles and Orange County. Samantha and Ava and Atlas say, Dad, you're either in a blue suit and white shirt or sport of kings. 
And they're right. That's about it. Don't forget, Sport of Kings is a homegrown brand focused on quality over quantity. And if you go check them out online at S-O-K-F-Y. So basically, Sport of Kings Forever Young, S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code PODIUM. You'll receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that's S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code PODIUM at checkout for 20% off. And now, back to the show. And you're with the Browns through 08. In 09, you go to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm from Chicago, as you know, originally, and had a very close relationship with the Khan family back in the day. What was the inspiration about going down to Jacksonville? And what was it like to work for Mr. Khan's organization? So the inspiration to go there was a guy by the name of Gene Smith, who is an Ohio guy and the general manager at that time. But I had a really good relationship with Gene just through scouting. I was very fortunate to have a lot of good NFL prospects while I was at LSU and Ohio State. So I got to know a lot of the personnel guys in the NFL very well. And Gene was there, thought that I may be a good fit with Jack Del Rio. And this is when Wayne Weaver owned the team. And so I went to Jacksonville as the new guy on the staff. The defensive staff was already intact. And I came in as the, as the coordinator and defense back coach as the new guy and then worked with Jack Del Rio and with the defense especially. And so that was the inspiration. I got to know Shad and Tony towards the end of the 2011 season. I was in my third year there. I was the defensive coordinator. And one day I was called down to the front office and and I was informed that there had been a change in the head coaching position. And I was asked if I would be willing to step in for the last five weeks and be the interim head coach. And of course, I told Wayne, whatever I can do for the organization. And I had a meeting with Gene and I took over the reins as the head coach that day. And then that same day, it was announced that Shai Khan had bought the team. And so shortly thereafter, I met Shad, and he's just a really cool guy. I was like, when I grow up, I want to be like Shai Khan. He's like, he's like one of those guys, right? And then I got a chance to meet Tony, and Tony and I became really good friends, and we still stay in touch to this day. And Tony started kind of the sports science analytics department in the organization. It was a lot of data. He was big into that, and so was I. So we hit it off, and we would just kind of geek out and nerd out late at night. Tony liked to sleep during the day. He would come alive in the <laughs> evening, and so it would be the end of my day. I can remember being in there at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning with Tony. He was just up ready to go with the ideas, and I was just kind of winding down. But we struck up a really good relationship. And then that was my really my first intro to analytics and football. He had some Harvard guys in there that were crunching some numbers and were getting in the pro football focus. That was really, uh, you know, Shad and Tony coming in with those engineering backgrounds and oh, the yeah. numbers. And so I learned a lot from both of those guys. Your next stop was Chicago. I vividly recall when you were there. My brothers and I have been, you know, going to games since since we could afford the tickets. When did you know that it was time to go back to college football? Well, in 2012, my last season in Jacksonville, I interviewed for the head coaching position with the Wisconsin Badgers. 
with Coach Alvarez. Uh, he was the AD. He asked me to take a look at the, the job. I had no intentions of going back to college ball at that time. But preparing for the interview, you know, I realized that there was a lot that I could offer the high school guys and the college mm-hmm. guys. I had spent, you know, several years in the National Football League and then, within, then eight years before that in college. And I just thought that with the information and knowledge that I have now, I think I could uh, go back to college and I could really help a lot of a lot of young people, which was my inspiration to, to get into coaching in the mm-hmm. first place. And so it's all about who you're working for and can you win. And the who was Nick Saban, get with someone that I trusted and I knew uh, what the standards were going to be and what the expectations were going to be. You shared some incredible examples of the things you learned from Coach Saban. Did you learn a lot more the third time around still? I did learn a lot more because, you know, I had been away from the college game for 10 seasons and recruiting had totally changed during that time. It was a different ball game, you know, with the social media and Twitter and Instagram. That was uh, not something I was a part of in the NFL. There was virtually no recruiting in the National Football League. Right. And so that recruiting landscape had changed. The number of coaches on the staff had increased. Not just with the nine countable coaches, 10 countable coaches now, but the support staff, you know, the analysts, the quality control, plus the GAs, and then the recruiting, the recruiting department and the operations folks and the trainers and all of the the equipment and the data and and the strength coaches. It really expanded. It had ballooned since I left Ohio State. It was just, it was really, it resembled more like the NFL. Actually, in terms of that, with the recruiting, there were a lot of changes for me. There was an adjustment period. But the one thing about Coach Saban is that, and he had evolved over those years and become better and better and better and better. And he adapted and adjusted and was innovative. It was always, you know, two steps ahead. But fundamentally, his process was the same as it was at Michigan State in 97 and 98 when I was there, and then LSU 2000. He reminds me of Robert De Niro in the movie Casino. He's clockwork. It was just awesome for me to go to staff meetings and really know the rhythm of the meetings and you know know the That's rhythm right. of the day. And actually, sometimes he would start a sentence, and in my, in my mind, I would finish it because he was who he was. Even though he evolved and adapted, but to his core, he was the same person. He was the same guy. I love that about him. You know exactly what you're going to get from Nick. I'm smiling the entire time you're saying that our mutual friend, Ben Newman, he has always said that about Coach Saban. The fact that his sta- it's so clear where the standards are and the process. And he's like, the, you know, you just don't waver and deviate. I never had issues working with Coach Saban because you always knew where you stood. If you were to write things down and you would pay attention and you would listen, you wouldn't have very many problems with Coach Saban. You you could usually make him happy. And that was the job as an assistant coach is to make the head coach happy. He's a great explainer. So not only did he tell you what to do, he would give you the reasoning behind it. He would show you, kind of give you the big picture view because he says, you know, oftentimes as an assistant coach, you look at issues and situations through a straw. You know, as a head coach, he's looking at it from 10,000 feet, seeing the bigger picture, and he would explain that. So I just felt if you just, if you could check your ego at the door and listen and, you know, write things down, that you could really understand what he wanted and why he wanted it that way. 
and then you can execute and make him happy. So incredible coaching resume, incredible coaching resume, 26 years under the belt. You're going into season 27, coaching football at a high level. What are two or three of the core values and standards that have consistently been a part of who you are as a servant leader and war general for these young men that are really taking form here now that you've been here three years? My mentality is a, is a relentless mentality. We're on and off the field, high velocity, nonstop, perpetual motion. It's never over. Resilient. Keep fighting. Keep going. You know, go harder, go longer. And that was my mentality when I started here in 1997 as a graduate assistant. Mm-hmm. When I walked in the door and I realized the other graduate assistants, Brian Poley and Ted Ellickson, you know, Chuck Bulla, just being around the coaching staff, we had Dean Pease, you know, Mark D'Antonio, you know, Bobby Williams, Pat Shermer, Charlie Baggett, all these great coaches. I realized right away that I was, I was behind. I had the enthusiasm. And the work ethic, but I did not have the product knowledge. Coaching is not the same as playing. And so I had to learn how to be a coach. I needed to play catch up. And so my mentality at that time became, I need to get done in one year what it would take a normal human being three years to do. And so that's the way I worked. That was my sense of urgency. That was my drive. And I've carried that through. So I'm patiently impatient always feeling like I need to be two to three times as good or two to three times more efficient or two to three times ahead of the process, ahead of the game. That's a core value and mindset that I have. I hope, you know, spreads through our organization here. Our core values as a program with our players in terms of winning on the field and winning off the field are toughness, you know, discipline and being unselfish. I find that that works, you know, on and off the field. You can apply that and their standards. You either are or you aren't. And you can you can point to examples on and off the field of that. From a leadership standpoint, I believe that you can't lead unless people know where you stand. And so it's important for me, whatever it is, to let the players know how I feel about it and where I stand on an issue or a situation. And then we can go from there. The truth and the concept and, and the reality of I see you as a person, not just a football player. And if we can come to the understanding and the agreement between the coach and the player is that as a coach, I understand and I would like you to understand and believe that, you know, football is what you do. It's not who you are. Football is just one of the many talents that you do have. And it's important for us while you're here to develop some of those other talents so that you can be prepared to dominate whatever you decide to do when you leave Michigan State. So that culture and those core values of connection Mm -hmm. with players, I see you as a person. I'm here to help you develop. We're here to help you develop. Everything here is is set up for you to develop as an entire person. Those are the things that I think benefit our players tremendously. And that's how we earn trust with our players. And that's how we help them develop on and off the field. I've really enjoyed over the last few years getting to know your overall approach to player development. You've got an incredible team and staff. You've got an incredible servant leader at the head of it. The entrepreneurship program that many of these young men are taking advantage of, developing life skills 
business skills, but life skills as well. And a lot of the servant leadership curriculum that that just kind of bleeds throughout the university today. Incredible value proposition for young men looking to come play Division One football. What is the message right now? If you were able to speak to the top 50 prospects that are on your radar across the country, what's the message that you would want these young men and their families to hear about coming to play Michigan State football? We recruit at a very high level. We're recruiting the top players in the country. We recruit nationally, coast to coast. It's important for the players to know that, of course, we want to help you reach your your goal and, and fulfill your dream as being an NFL player. And our program is set up to do that. But first and foremost, we see you as a person. Okay? And football is what you do. It's not who you are. It's a top priority for me as a coach and us as a staff in the athletic department. We develop the entire person. The football is going to take care of itself. That's what we do. And, and that's primarily why you're coming here in, in most situations. But it's going to be more than that. And how you do one thing is how you do everything. We believe that academics, career development, community service, civic engagement, all those things are extremely important. And ultimately, they will help you become a better football player as well, because there's tremendous carryover in those things. And so a lot of the conversations that I have with the, the, the recruits and the parents Obviously, they want to know my background and they want to know my philosophy on football, but I would say that we spend the majority of our time talking about and talking through things that are not football related, because at the end of the day, that's what's most important long term, which obviously when you're you know, 17, 18 years old, you may not be able to see that, but the parents, they know it. I know you believe that readers are leaders. What's the book that every student athlete across this country should be reading right now? That's a great question. Trevor Mawad is a really, yeah. really good friend of mine. And, he, you know, he passed away, you know, a couple Septembers ago. And his first book was It Takes What It Takes. I thought it was a phenomenal book. And then his second book that was released uh, posthumous is called Getting to Neutral. The concept of neutral thinking. And that concept is, 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 very, is a very simple concept, not as easy to apply in real life, but the concept is that situations are what they are. And it's important to try to take the judgment out of it and just understand that it's not right or wrong. It's not good or bad. It just is what it is. And based upon the information that you have about the situation, information that you've gathered, things that are, you know, go to the truth of the matter and factual, you know, based upon those things, then you decide you have the the good ability to decide what is the next right step to take. And you take that step, trying to take the emotion out of it. And that applies on the field and off the field and living in the now, referring to the past for practical purposes. Because there is a practical reason why you need to reach back in the past and, and right. learn and, and, and remember, and then the future. You know, for you know, it's, it's important that we that we plan and that we you know we have we set goals and things like that. But really focusing and having intentional focus on the now, which is really the only thing that actually exists. <laughs> so I would say the getting to neutral 
Trevor's second book is is a book that I give out to anyone who will take it. Thanks for sharing that, Coach. I know we're up on time. Share one last thought. What's the greatest obsession you have right now? What's on Mel Tucker's mind right now? Well, the thing that I'm extremely passionate about is career development for our players. And Alan Haller, he's a great leader for us, our athletics director. And he understands that we have to prepare our, our, our players for life beyond football. Academic support is primarily for eligibility and graduation. It's not necessarily career planning. And so we have a program in place and we're looking to increase our staff in that area to work with our players from the moment that they get here to the time they leave on career planning, whether there are early assessments, helping them with their networking, with internships, whether they may be micro-internships or shadowing opportunities or mm-hmm. mentorships, things like that, to help uh, give these players the tools that they need to be able to compete in the real world and whatever they want to do beyond football. I want to be able to look back 20 years from now, 25 years from now, 15 years from now, and say that our major donors for football are former football players. That would be a dream come true for me. That's not normally the case for a lot of the places that I've been. Uh, I know there's reasons for that, but I believe there's an opportunity now to change the narrative beyond graduation. There's uh, some significant work that we're doing, actually mandatory curriculum and part of our process here at Michigan State. And I'm passionate about that improving every day to at some point we will be the gold standard in college sports in terms of career planning and development with our student athletes. Coach, it was an absolute privilege to be here with you. Hailing from the great Cleveland, Ohio, Mel Tucker, 26 years of professional coaching under your belt. You look younger than I do, Coach, so I don't know how you do it, but you're doing something right. Just wishing you an incredible, incredible amount of continued success and health for you, your family, the program at Michigan State University. And we're really excited to see what hits the field this next fall. Yeah, thank you so much. It was an honor to be on with you. Thanks, Go Green. Yeah, go white. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to our guest, Coach Mel Tucker. You can follow Coach on both Twitter and Instagram with the same handle, at Coach underscore M Tucker. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to follow, rate, and review at the podium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow the show on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. It's at podium underscore podcast. Post about the show on social media, and if you would, tag us. We'll repost to share our gratitude. Also, consider telling a friend as friend to friend is still the greatest way that we could grow the show and share our stories. See you next time.